Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Saar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And this is our midweek audio only Bible teaching. We have been walking through God's Word together one chapter a week. We began all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And today we are talking about the second half of Numbers chapter 11. We've done this a few times and we've kind of broken chapters up. There was a lot to talk about last week in the first half of Numbers 11. Uh, So if you didn't listen to that, I'd really encourage you to do so because we're going to reference it today. Uh, We talked about how, as people now, we are similar to both the people of Numbers 11 and Moses as the leader in Numbers 11. Uh, So if if you didn't listen to that, I'd encourage you to do so. But today we're going to talk about the second half of Numbers chapter 11 in, as we say every week. If you've no idea what this is about, if you've never read it before in your Bibles, go ahead, press pause and read it. And then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in the word. So last week then we talked about the complaining people and Moses' uh, right attitude uh, but kind of wrong conclusion. And today we pick up in verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. Uh, We said last week that leadership of a group of people, leadership of a church, leadership of a nation, as this was here in Numbers 11, is not a solo pursuit. It is a team sport. And we reference back to uh, Exodus 17 and 18, where Moses is trying to do it all by himself. And he's learning that lesson that, no, you can't do it by yourself. Uh, So God says, look, Let's gather some guys whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. So we're not going to pick completely random guys and uh, turn them into elders, which uh, very much lines up with how Paul uh, describes uh, the process of, uh, of appointing elders uh, under the new covenant. Very, uh, very, very similar. We read here, look, look around whom you know to be the elders of the people. Now, before elders was a term of, of a leadership term, an office in the church, it just meant somebody of a certain character living out a certain life. Uh, and we read that Moses is to gather these guys, bring them to the tent of meeting, let them take their stand there with you. They're going to help him by simply being there. We've often talked in church about elders uh, shepherd people by prayer, and presence, them simply being there is a support to the people. And it's a huge support for me as the pastor of a church to know that there are these guys of a certain character who are there. They're praying, but they're also present. And we read there in verse 17, uh, the Lord says, I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So they are there to help Moses, to assist Moses. They'll bear the burden of the people with you. They're not relieving Moses of any of his duties or any of his responsibilities. They are being there to shepherd people through prayer and presence. They're sharing the burdens of the people. So Moses doesn't have to do it by himself. And uh, we'll kind of come back to the elders uh, in verse 24. But for now, we kind of jump topic. We're referencing something from last week with the complaint about, um, oh, I wish we were still in Egypt. We had all this different kind of food to eat. It wasn't that good. 
And in verse 18, uh, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow because you're going to eat meat. For you've wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who's going to give us meat? It was better in Egypt. Again, we talked last week about how they're uh, twisting uh, their recollection of the past to suit the present complaints. They've been very, very selective uh, in their memories. And God says, well, you, you better get ready because you're if you want me, I'll, I'll give you meat. But it's not in the sense of a blessing. They've complained. Uh, they've, they've moaned. They've uh, rose-tinted the past. And we read, uh, you're not just going to eat for a day, two days, five days, ten days, twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. So they've craved something from the past, from a, a bad situation in their past. They've looked back, they've cherry-picked something out that they thought was quite good. They've complained, they've moaned, uh, they've just not looked back fairly into the past. They've not looked at the present situation and the manner, the sustenance from heaven uh, fairly. So God says, well, if you're craving after that, I'm going to give you so much of it that it's going to become loathsome to you. And I think what is unsaid there is, so you will never complain about this again. Moses responds, um, and very understandably, uh, very humanly says, um, the people among who I am, Number 600,000 on foot. How on earth, God, are you going to provide enough meat for them? And I love the response. We read in verse 23, The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Is this beyond me, Moses? I've said I'm going to do it. Is this beyond me? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So we've got this. The, the people have been taught a lesson about their complaints and about... Their selective memories and they're twisting the past to suit their present complaints. So we've got that going on. But we've also here, maybe bigger picture, we've got now you're going to see whether my word will come true or not. So Moses has been built up in his faith at the same time as the people are being taught a, a really serious lesson about questioning, about doubting, about complaining, about selectively choosing and cherry picking from the past. Moses has been built up and deepened in his faith and his trust in the word of God. And then, so having been given these two uh, things to pass on to the people, uh, instructions to do, things to arrange, we now see it happening. So Moses went out, in verse 24 now, told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people. So these guys are already leading, they're already serving, they're now going to be recognized as such. Uh, they're going to be brought to the tent of meeting. We read, the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as it rested on them, they prophesied. We think about Saul here uh, when he was kind of uh, anointed, installed uh, as king. Um, then we read, very interestingly, but they did not continue doing it. Really big difference here. Old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant, the spirit of the Lord rests on certain people in a certain place at a certain time for a certain reason. And here it is evidence of their appointment. They're kind of very, very short-term anointed to prove that they have been appointed, let's say. then They're not now 
turned into a kind of full-time prophet, I think, about Samuel, and he's known as the seer, the prophet. He's this guy who, who speaks for God. This is not the case with these 70 guys. It's in this place, at this time, they've been anointed to prove they've been appointed. Uh, very much like, I know we've just talked about how the Spirit of the Lord uh, old covenant rests on people for a certain uh, task or time. New covenant believers, we've got access all the time. But this particular example is very much like Acts chapter 2. I think tongues of fire, uh, We, as far as I'm aware, don't read that those people continued to speak in all of those unlearned languages for the rest of their earthly days. It was for a very particular purpose. So Acts chapter 2 is very much this transition between how things were and how things are now going to be. Uh, And then the rest of this passage, 26 to verse 30, we read about uh, Moses and Joshua. They've both got a great heart and we can see uh, the difference in their experience, let's say. Uh, So there are two guys in the camp, um, not brought to the the tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and they begin to prophesy as well. We read uh, in verse 26, one named Eldad, the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them, and they were among the registered, but they'd not gone to the tent, so they prophesied where they were. Their uh, evidence of appointment it was just uh, just where they were. They didn't go with the rest of the, the other guys. And Joshua sees it, and he kind of runs off to Moses and says, these two guys are prophesying in the camp. Uh, you've got to stop them. Uh, you know, you, you've asked this group of 70 guys. Uh, there's this group there, but then these two are in the camp doing it as well. What, what are we doing? What if everybody starts doing it and, and they don't no longer recognize you as the leader? Moses, what do we do? Joshua was very enthusiastic here. You can see his obvious care and respect for Moses. Uh, so a great heart in it. And Moses turns around to him and says, look, are you jealous for my sake? How good would it be if all of God's people were prophets? If all of God's people were speaking God's word to all the other groups of God's people. Wouldn't it be great if everybody was speaking to each other to build one another, to encourage one another, uh, to strengthen one another, to console? Wouldn't it be great if everybody is doing that? And forward thinking to now, I think about 1 Corinthians 14, 3, that says, look, this is what we all should be doing. This is how we should all speak to one another. And Moses, whether he knew it here or not, whether it was put Uh, in his mind and on his heart and in his mouth by God, says as much to Joshua. Uh, And then we read at the end of that passage, Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And then to wrap things up for this chapter, we read of the meat that was promised. So verse 31 tells us, A wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on either side. And it's kind of piled up uh, two cubits above the ground. It's about a meter high. Um, around the camps. You, you can imagine this was a huge stack, pile of quail. And if you read around this, um, in this place, and at this time, it was very, very common for these massive migrations of quail to be in the area. Uh, and we read here, a wind from the Lord sprang up. So very, very simply, it looks like God has redirected these 
already occurring huge quail migrations. Uh, so, so far, so good. They're, they're all being given the meat that they were told. But we remember that God said, mm, it's not going to be the huge blessing that you want. You, you're craving after it. You desire this with your heart, but you've not gone about it the right way. So I'm going to teach you the lesson there of how we go about uh, asking for how we go about pursuing this. So all these quail are there. They're collected. The people just must have lost their minds with excitement. And it's good. But we read in verse 33, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. So yes, you can have everything you've asked for, you've complained about, you've, you've gone about it the wrong way, but here is the lesson we read that the Lord sent a plague among them and many died. And this is referenced in Psalm 78, Psalm 106. So the cravings have been satisfied, but we sincerely hope that they've learned that lesson. And I read recently that there are times when God grants an unwarranted request in order that we may learn through experience the folly of our desires. So yes, this was a really strict judgment, but it helped the people. It was going to help them as they move into the promised land. That they shouldn't be ruled by or ruled over by the, their cravings, their physical, emotional uh, cravings for things that they think is good. When God has already provided what is best. And this chapter wraps up by saying that they named this place. Uh, the, the Graves of Craving, Kibroth Hatava. And just on that last point before we leave one another today, it's very, very applicable to us now. So no, we're not in the wilderness craving meat that we used to have when we were under slavery in Egypt. But as God provided manna for them to sustain them, that was all that they needed, uh, Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. In John 6. And just as the people kind of got a little bit complacent with that, started looking around, started wanting to supplement that, wanted other stuff from their past, the same is true of Jesus. That was God's provision for them. And now for us, for our sustenance, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our restoration, the disciple, the, the follower of God, God's people here and now, it's it's only through Jesus. So no, we might not be craving uh, quail, melons, uh, garlic, all the things that they talked about. We talked about last week, but the point is still very applicable that God has provided something that satisfies us and meets our needs entirely. And yet through our own fleshly failings, we can be tempted to try and supplement that and do little other things. And if, we're, if that goes too far, we end up craving something else. We look around and we see, oh, I wish I could do this. I wish I could go there. I wish I, had the, 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 I wish I could do all these extra things. When really there's no need because Jesus said he's the ultimate, the true sustenance, the bread from heaven. We read in John chapter 6 that Jesus said, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world.
Next week in Numbers chapter 12, we will see another problem for Moses, another issue to be dealt with. We'll see Miriam and Aaron opposing him. But until then, 